light on the meaning of the blood of Christ. And together as a church, we're asking what Jesus did when he died on the cross. And we want to grasp and understand that so that the power of God becomes real in our lives and in our experience. Uh, listen, your well-being, it varies depending on how close you are to God. Do you know this? Now, the closer you are to God at any given moment in life, the better it is for you. Because God is pure benevolence. God is love. God is light. And God loves you. And the closer you are to God, the better it is for you. On the other hand, the further away that you are from God at every given, any given moment, the worse things go for you. And so much of the misery that is swallowing up our world right now, and not just our world out there, but our own experiences of life, is rooted in the distance that we put between ourselves and God. And so, if that's the case, it's natural to ask, how do I become close to God? And the answer to that question is given in what Jesus did on the cross for you. And for you, and for you, and for you, and you, I'm speaking to each of you. I would like to say it as many times as there are people here. That would be impractical. But it is true for me and for you that what Jesus did on the cross, what happened when Jesus' blood was shed, that has dealt with the distance between you and God. Listen to these words. They're from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. Listen. But now, in Christ Jesus, you, who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Sometimes we feel far off from God. This is a statement for us. Sometimes we think that we're far off from God because He doesn't want us nearby. I hope that by the end of this message today, you see that that's not true. You may feel like that. But the distance between you and God has been dealt with on God's side when Jesus Christ chose to die on the cross. When his blood was spilled, when his body was offered as a sacrifice for you, for me, his blood accomplished the removal of the barrier between us and God, taking away the distance so that those who would otherwise have been far away from God forever could come close. Today we're going to see how the New Testament describes the, Jesus, the death of Jesus as a sacrifice. Now it points out that his blood has been effective in opening the way to God for all people, and we're going to see that since he gave himself for us, we are free to come to him, even though we on our own are entirely unworthy of him. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but are there any among us who sense their own unworthiness to come to the holy God? Some of you are nodding, and, and you want to raise your hand and shout, Amen. I'll tell you, as a pastor, what has surprised me over the years is how willing so many people are to actually acknowledge their own unworthiness based on who they've been to be in the presence of God. And there are certain moments for pastors that stand out in their memory. Uh, for me, many of those have come uh, in moments where there's something that takes place that captures a sort of universal and essential fact of human beings. Listen, 
Now, 15 years ago, I preached a sermon on forgiveness and confession. I told the story of King David and Bathsheba. Some of you know that story? Okay, if you don't, it's a scandalous story in which a king abuses his power to steal another man's wife. And when she gets pregnant, he chooses to cover it up by having her husband killed. It's despicable. After sharing that story, I said the truth, which is that when we come to God and confess our sin, he is completely ready and willing to forgive us and make us brand new. I read Psalm 51, which is the psalm that came after David's sin was shown to him. I talked about Psalm 34. I quoted 1 John, where it says very plainly in God's word that if we will confess our sin, God is faithful to forgive us and take away all unrighteousness and make us new again. I was on fire this Sunday morning. I was feeling it. You see me do that here maybe an hour and then? And after the service got done, after the message got done, we shared communion together. And when I broke the bread, I said to everyone gathered, this is Christ's body broken for you. Because of your sin, now you are completely free to come to him. And then one by one, people stood up and they came forward as I held the bread. And I said to them, this is Christ's body broken for you. There was one woman who stayed in her seat the whole time. And that's what stood out. She was back there, and her face was in her hands, and she was sobbing the whole time. Well, it was a, a relatively small group. I know, uh, I knew that I didn't see her before. And everyone left after communion was done, and so I walked over and I sat down next to her. And she seemed profoundly broken. And she wouldn't even look at me, but she said, finally, I'm so ashamed of myself. I said, what happened? She said, I, I was unfaithful to my husband. We committed adultery. And then she said, I don't deserve God's forgiveness. The way to God is blocked for me. She said this through tears. Maybe someone in here has felt like that before. If you never have, you may sometimes feel like that. Here's why it stood out to me. There were two things in it. On the one hand was this universal fact that God has given us a conscience so that when we do the wrong thing, there's a part of us that knows it's wrong. When we're unfaithful and we hurt the people around us, something within us awakens and says that was wrong and we don't feel right about it. Do, do you know that experience? Right? There are some folks in whom this God-given conscience has been pushed down very far. And it's deep down there, and they seem like they have no awareness of their wrongdoing. Deep down, deep down, it's still in there. But that's the first thing that stood out in this moment was here was a woman, listen, who felt bad, and it was in some measure it was good that she did. This misdeed on her part was bad for her. It was bad for her husband and for her children. She explains to me that he was an alcoholic. I understood why she had a bruise on her eye after she explained that he'd become violent. But even still, her conscience told her it was wrong. Now, there was a second thing that was also universal in what she said, and it was more important actually than the first one, and it was her belief that because of her misdeed, the way to God was closed to her. And in this, she was mistaken. And this is a mistake that, in my experience, most human beings will carry with them. Even 
even those who aren't sure they know what to believe about God and they're a bit skeptical, if there is a God and if he is holy and if he made this world and if my life and all of our lives depend on him, then he must be awfully disappointed with the way that we have chosen to live. And because of that, well, then the way to him must be blocked for me because I know I've not been perfect. Have you ever felt that? You should feel that in some measure. But listen now, if, this is what I want you to see this morning, if not for what Jesus did on the cross, then it would be absolutely right that we would have no access to God at all. And that, in some measure, we should all stay in our seats when communion is shared. But as Paul said in Ephesians, you who were far off have been brought near, listen, not by your own deeds, not by your regret, not by the grief that you feel because you've done the wrong things, not because of your conscience, but by, did you hear what it was said? By the blood of Christ. To understand this, we have to go back, and I'm going to invite you now in your imagination to come back with me to the days when Jesus was walking around with his disciples in the city of Jerusalem, approaching the Temple Mount through the crowded streets. This is just a question of curiosity. How many of you have been to Jerusalem? Some of you have. Have you seen the Temple? Imagine now, we're approaching the Temple, and this is what's in our minds. Listen, if we were there in the first century, we would know that's the place which is special for one reason, because God is there. And did you know that God promised to dwell in the temple? For generations, the promise was he would be there right in the Holy of Holies. Do you know about that? That was the promise when Jesus came, that he was there in the temple. And so now, you're going to work with me on this. Imagine we're approaching this, this temple together. And as we get near, we come to the first of five courts in the temple. Each one closer to the center. The first one that we come to, it's the court of the Gentiles. This is the, the region within the temple that is accessible and open to all people. If you're a visitor, if you're a pilgrim from another faith, that's okay. You are welcome to come into this first court, the court of the Gentiles. If you're a guy named Christian, you can come into this part. But, now listen, but if that's who you are, you can't go any further into that. In fact, there's a wall between this court and the next one, and in the stone, there was an inscription. Archaeologists actually uncovered it. This is what was carved in stone at this point. No foreigner is to enter into the forecourt and the enclosure around the temple. It's kind of like no loitering, but it goes on to say, whoever is caught will have himself to blame that his death ensues. By pain of death... You're not allowed to come any closer to God if you don't have the worthiness that comes with being of Jewish descent. If you are Jewish, then you can go to the next level in. That's called the women's court. All Jews are welcome here, but beyond here, women are not free to go. From the women's court, there are 15 steps up to the men's court. Men can go there. No matter how holy a woman is, she's not allowed to get closer than the women's court. Men can get closer than she can to the center. But then, when the men arrive at this third level, there are still two more courts, and they're both the sacred precincts of the temple. The first is for the priests. Any man who's serving in an official capacity as a religious figure, he can go further into the priest's court. But then, the fifth and final inner sanctum, the Holy of Holies, that is the place where only one man is free to enter. He is called the High Priest. Now, can you imagine how in this environment, the idea that nearness to God depends upon goodness would be what most people thought? Can you see it? It's just so plain. The 
architecture of the temple says it itself. Goodness determines nearness to God. If I've been bad, well, then I have to stay away. And if I've been really bad, then I have to stay in my seat. If I was good, if I was born uh, right, if I uh, achieved the right level of goodness, well, then I can get closer. And listen now, that was a long time ago. We don't often pay attention to it. But the truth is, this outlook still tends to be most of our default setting. Do you know what I mean by that? Try this out and try to be honest. When you hear the word sinners, do you tend to think of people who are more badly behaved than you are? Some, some not. And I'll tell you, if you don't, then you're further along and nearer to the grace of God than those of us who tend habitually to picture sinners as those other people who are doing that thing, those other people who behave in that way, those other people who believe the wrong things, those other people who vote the wrong way or support the wrong party or whatever it is that we've tended to do in our mind's eye, in our imagination, to categorize those people who are worse than we are, the sinners, the ones who are far away from God. In a way, that woman that I met those 15 years back was awfully close to God because she had this sense that she was not worthy on her own to come close to God. And listen to me, the truth is there are wicked people in the world who have behaved way worse than you have, and the way that we tend to measure our own behavior, this is the way it works, is is when we compare ourselves to people who are doing worse than we are. So by comparison, most of us tend to come out looking pretty good. But this is the truth, and, and for you, it would be good to receive this, I promise. No matter how far you are from those other bad people, you and they are equally far from the holiness of God. If you are to compare yourself to someone who is way worse off and then take the two of you and compare the two of you to God, the difference between you two is absolutely nothing when compared to the difference between you and God who is infinitely high in his perfection, who is as high as the stars are. But listen now. That fact makes sense on the one hand of that first impulse in that woman that I met, which was to be aghast at the offense that she caused before God by her misdeeds. And if you think to yourself, well, I'm sure glad I haven't done that, or if you're on the other side this morning and you think, if the pastor only knew what I've done, it's far worse than that. If you're measuring it like that, you're measuring it in the wrong way. And what you need to accept right now, listen, He said, not only in dramatic ways, like committing adultery, but in more subtle ways, all of us have wandered so far away from God that we are all equally distant from him if we're up to our own merit. Like wounding the people that we're close to with our words. Now, maybe you've been faithful to your spouse all these years, but in the attitude of your mind and in your heart, in the words that you let tumble out of your mouth in a moment of passion, in the way that you harbor hatred and bitterness toward them for who they are, well, in some measure, that kind of resentment makes you just as far away from God as if you had uh, walked away in unfaithfulness as that woman had. And I don't need to, but the truth is if you pause, every one of us would have a conscience that could point out to ourselves that, listen, apart from some kind of remedy, that is beyond our capacity, we would always remain forever distant from God. And because of that, we would always forever remain in this place.
place of languishing rather than having the kind of well-being that comes only when we're close to God. Because, as I said earlier, the further away you get, the worse off it is for you. The less distance between you, the better it would be. But then, come back with me now to the temple. There's that temple. And there's all those reasons why we can't get close to God. And then in the center of the temple, in that holy of holies where God dwells, there's one more piece of architecture that we haven't looked at yet. And now use your imagination. Between the priest's court and the holy of holies, where God's presence is, where the mercy seat is, there's a curtain which is hanging. And that curtain, try to imagine, embroidered in gold and scarlet and crimson thread, deep purple and majestic that curtain is. And it hangs there before the presence of God in that place and there's only one man who is ever allowed to go beyond that curtain into the presence of God where the mercy seat is, the high priest, and he's only allowed to go one day a year. Maybe you've heard this word if you have Jewish friends. They celebrate Yom Kippur. Have you heard of that holiday? It's the most holy and the highest holiday for Jewish people. It's the day that the priest is allowed to go beyond that curtain where the mercy seat is. And that Yom Kippur in English, that's called the day of atonement. The day when the priest goes behind the curtain to make things right between God and the people who are helpless and hopeless. The day that this man has access to what all of us need, which is mercy. Here, let's come back to the curtain for a moment, in a moment, but do you need mercy? Would you think for a moment? Could you be honest and say that you need mercy from your spouse if you're married? Amen? Did you say if you have some friends, that you need mercy from your friends from time to time. How about if you're a child, do you need mercy from your parents? And parents, this is maybe hard to say, but do you need mercy from your children sometimes? <laughs> As a good parent, you can say that. How about this? Do you need mercy from yourself? I, this is not everybody, but it is some people. I know some people who can believe in God's mercy for others, but they look at themselves and they have no mercy for themselves whatsoever. It was like that woman who sat weeping and sobbing in the church. Can I tell you that more than mercy from yourself or your friends or your spouse or your parents or anyone else, you need mercy from Jesus Christ. That's what you need. You need mercy from God himself. And that priest went behind that curtain because he knew that the people needed mercy. And he went there to get mercy. But that curtain stood there every day of the year to say there is an irrevocable barrier between God and everyone. And only one day a year is it open. And when the high priest went behind that curtain on that one day, here, get this, he went with the blood of an animal. And that blood was a sacrifice. Generations earlier, before the temple was even built in Jerusalem, God, when he freed his people from Egypt, he knew that they needed his mercy. And he made a way for them to receive that mercy, and it involved a sacrifice. It involved the death of an animal and the spilling of blood. And that blood was to be brought into the mercy seat, and there, God himself would choose in his benevolence and his grace to respond to the shedding of blood with his mercy for all of God's people. Why blood? Have you ever wondered that? To me, it seems barbaric. Why would there have to be this death for God's mind to be changed? There's an awful lot of distance between us and God's people culturally when they were freed from Egypt. But at least we can say this, a sacrifice like that costs something. I don't know if you've heard this, but the 
The sacrifice was meant to be an animal without spot or blemish. That means it had to be a healthy animal because God knew that, the, that, that people will tend to give as little as is required of themselves. And so they find an animal that was sick and on its way out, like a horse ready for the glue factory, and they say, here's a sacrifice. Did anyone else admit to giving as little as required? This animal had to be a, a meaningful sacrifice because it had to correspond to the offense. And listen to this, the gift that is brought when it's an animal that's sacrificed is a gift that you cannot take back. Because once its life is gone, you can't get it back. And don't you take back your good promises to God? I know I do from time to time. And then listen to this. The life in this animal is released when its blood is spilled so that before God there's some kind of sign that this is a matter of life or death for us. God wanted his people to believe and feel that. And so the priest went behind the curtain to, to, to bring the blood of the sacrificial animal for sins, to atone for sins. And that was happening every single year that Jesus was growing up. And it was happening every time Jesus taught in the temple. And it was happening even right up until the death of Jesus. But listen now, and this is what you must receive today. When Jesus died on the cross, something happened everything that the curtain stood for. I'm going to show you in a minute. Before I show you, please listen. If you think, I don't need God's mercy, I've been so much better than other people, then I'm not going to try to argue with you or convince you. I can't do that. But I will say this nonetheless, that what Jesus did on the cross was for you also. It is not reserved for people who believe it. It's not. It's not saved. That gift of what happens when Jesus died on the cross is not saved for people who get it right. It's for all people who all have gotten it wrong. But for those of you who are aware keenly of the distance between you and you and God, and you carry some grief for who you've been, you listen up right now. When Jesus died on the cross, this is Matthew 27, verses 50 and 51. Then Jesus cried again with a loud voice and breathed his Last, this is the moment he died. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That, that, that joy makes sense, doesn't it? That curtain represents the distance that would always have been there between you and God, and it's God. That that curtain represents the barrier that's up there between the holiness of God and, and the impurity of all of us, every single one of us on our own. That, that curtain represents, listen to this, it represents the religious impulse in men, in churches, to make some way for you to get to God that allows them to remain in control, and God himself has torn that all the way down so that no more is it up to any other man to be a mediator between you and God. That is completely done away with. And the truth, listen, hold on, i got some more to say. The, the history of religion... This is true. The history of religion is man's attempt to sew that curtain back up so that he can remain in control of God and make some kind of achievement that you have to 
live up to before you're allowed to come to God. But did you notice that the curtain was torn from the top to the bottom? God tore it. We might try to sew up, but you've heard this right. What God has joined together, let no man tear asunder. Let's reverse that this morning. What God has torn asunder, let no man try to sew up together again. The curtain is open and the way is open for all of us. That's the truth. And that happened when Jesus' blood was poured out for all of us. His blood has brought those who were far off here again. Listen, if you still feel far off, from God's side, there is no, there's nothing holding you away. Nothing at all. And, and from your side, you are completely and totally free to move through all of those systems of distance in the court right up to the presence of God. And without any hesitance whatsoever, you are completely and totally free to enter into the presence of God and receive there all the mercy that you so that's what I want you to receive today as your pastor. Listen, if you've never received that, many people will have not. Their heart has always been wondering and hesitant. Don't hesitate anymore. Uh, you don't have to understand every bit of the mystery to go into the presence of God. And I'm, I'm um, challenging and pushing and encouraging you this morning to move into His presence and receive the gift that He gives you there. If you've received that in the past and have moved away, which many of us will eventually do day after day, come back. Come back into the presence of God and receive the consequences of the torn curtain. Now, I have two words of Scripture to give to you this morning uh, in closing. Both of them come from the book of Hebrews. If you uh, are a person who's wanted to read the Bible more than you used to, many of us are in that place. If you felt that, I wish I could read the Bible a little more. Maybe this week read the entire book of Hebrews. In some measure, it's, an, it's a, a meditation on the consequences of the tearing of that curtain, spelling out the consequences for people like me and for you. I'm going to give you two this morning. The first is that because that curtain is torn, there is unhindered access for all of us. Listen to the way it's put in Hebrews. This is chapter 10, verse 19 and following. Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Dear friends, no more shame. Friends, no more hesitance. No more standing in the outer courts because of the grief that we bear because of our own sin. You know better than I do and better than the people around you who you've been. Right now you're invited to let that go completely and, and allow the blood of Jesus to wash you clean so that you are whiter than snow. And then, because of the blood of Jesus, approach with a true heart. You don't have to have a conscience that's guilty anymore. Not because it doesn't matter what you've done, but because it doesn't matter as much as what Jesus has done. And when you've done the wrong thing and you sin, that's bad. But it's not as deep down as the mercy and grace of Jesus, which goes as deep as the earth and as high as the heavens. And so when you have to weigh these two out, well, the mercy of God matters much more. And so leave it behind you and move toward God in Christ with joy in your heart. So that in Jesus, listen now, in Jesus you can receive that God himself has decided 
to become the offering. Here, get this. Just like the high priest, Jesus went in, but unlike the high priest, instead of bringing an animal, Jesus brings himself. And in that moment, the priest and the offering become the same. And if you're thinking, my goodness, how could Jesus do that? Well, you read the book of Hebrews and you read at the beginning that Jesus is the exact imprint of God himself, so that in Christ, God allows his own blood to be spilled for us. And you might wish that hadn't happened, but it has. And there's nothing you can do about it except to receive it gratefully. Am I speaking too fast? Without blemish is Jesus. With no sin and no need for atonement, he brings himself the perfect sacrifice so that you are perfectly free to come to him. And you are invited now, as the road is wide open for you, to embrace this unhindered access that you have. All you need to do is accept and believe. There's a second thing that I want you to take this morning from this torn curtain. And it's in a single word, and it's the word hope. Not only is the access there for you always, but hope is also for you at all times. It's offered to you always. Hope for whatever it is right now that makes you feel hopeless. Let me be specific. Hope for bad things that are behind you that you can't undo. Hope for the things that are too much for you to manage right now. Hope for the things that are ahead of you that you don't know yet. And when they come upon you, you will say this. How on earth am I going to manage it? I'm not trying to be a downer, but all of us are going to face things like that in life, every single one of you. But here's hope for you in that moment. Listen, this is Hebrews 6, verses 19 and 20. We have this hope, a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters the inner shrine behind the curtain where Jesus, a forerunner on our behalf, has entered, having become a high priest forever. And here, listen, dear friend, this is why it's hopeful. You remember what I started with, that your well-being varies depending on your proximity to God. The inner sanctuary is where God is, and we have a hope that says we are always welcome to be right there in the presence of God. Right there, as if, imagine this, as if we are sitting on our Father's lap. And if your Father didn't love you well, set him aside. Imagine the most benevolent and perfectly attentive and caring and loving father that ever had been. God has a spot for you to be with him. He'll embrace you and hold you and love you. And you are invited this morning to let that truth be an anchor for your soul so that it's not tossed this way and that when the storms come. But instead, no matter how vicious the waves are, you are steady and secure and established in your relationship with God because the blood of Christ has taken away your sin forever. And Jesus is your priest forever. The only uh, mediator between you and the Father is the Son. And you are his beloved Son. You are. You are his beloved daughter. And there is absolutely nothing that you ever can do that will undo the fact that that curtain has been torn from top to bottom and you are welcome home. Will you come home? That's the only question. And, and listen, come home. That's what I want to leave you with. Come home to the one who loves you. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the blood of Jesus. We thank you that in Christ, you have come to dwell with us in the flesh, and you have offered yourself in Jesus to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. We were far off, 
but you have brought us here by the blood of the cross. Thank you for that. God, would you please help each and every one of us open our hearts to that truth, leave behind all of the grief and the evil conscience that would torment us, and embrace instead your joyful and glad deliverance through the gift of Christ. Help us receive the power of the cross and be liberated by the word of the cross, which says to us that we are yours and that we are forever yours. Thank you for being our high priest, for going uh, as our forerunner into the presence where we are now invited to dwell. God, give us the joy and peace that comes with your deliverance. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.